As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. A quick word from my team at thisisbracketracing.com. It's the last chance. Enrollment in our premier membership community closes soon. Depending on when you're listening to this, it may close today. Friday night, December 4th, we close the doors and they will not reopen until midsummer. So if you are serious about making 2021 your best season yet, we would love to walk beside you through that process, that process of becoming, that process of not only identifying, but working toward becoming the best version of yourself on the racetrack. Perhaps over the course of the last week, you have looked into This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Perhaps you're on the fence. Uh, the cost is $99 per month. And what I want to emphasize there is the per month. There is no commitment. There is no obligation beyond month one. So if you're intrigued, if you're thinking about this, if you're considering this, let me just encourage you once more. Give us a shot for a month, maybe two. If we don't knock your socks off, you can opt out at any time. I'm that confident that we can help you take the next step in your racing program to, again, make the 2021 season your best yet. Learn more and join. This is BracketRacing.com slash Elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and Jay Wright, best looking man in college basketball. We also sometimes talk about the best looking man in sportsman drag racing, but that's not the subject today. Today, we've got a real treat for you. I'll be joined by Jeff Sarah. Uh, Awesome, awesome conversation with Jeff. I had high expectations for this. They exceeded them. Uh, we've got a really, really good show for you. Jeff was obviously the, the main point of discussion was his iconic win at the Great American Guaranteed Million. And we thought we knew the story. We shared what we knew of the story here on the podcast it's so much more incredible coming from the horse's mouth. Jeff was incredibly candid with us. He's got a very unique uh, way of presenting the information of telling the story. It's, it's so easy to follow. It's so fun. And I think at some point in this interview, certainly by the end of it, it becomes incredibly clear, at least a big reason why he's so successful he is incredibly present like that comes across in his racing in in just focus and he you know what's the saying you'd be where your where your butt is like jeff is there seemingly nonstop, and that presence in the time like it's never about what's going to happen next it's never about what just happened like it's about the right here the right now he even says something to that effect in this and you can just see how that mindset makes him so unflappable particularly under immense pressure and he was just a great interview it's a lot of fun he even turned the tables on me uh put, kind of put me on the spot at one point in the interview which i wasn't prepared for but it was fun like i don't think i've ever had a guest be like well what do you what do you do right and and, and he did that so uh, so stay tuned for that but before we get there i did want to start with this i uh, i woke up monday morning to back to back blows um the passing of two men that i just have immense respect for and in both cases i will admit i am closer to each of these men's sons than i was to them but in both cases i had some really memorable moments uh, i'll start first with lanny maples who uh, over the weekend succumbed after a battle with cancer Lenny is a longtime standout racer in Division Four. He's out of Oklahoma, uh, probably best known for his success in NHRA Supergas. I knew he was a, a top ten finisher. Uh, I think multiple times won multiple national events. And honestly, I, I tried to think about this, and I can't really remember precisely when or even how I first met Lanny Maples. I, I've it, one of his best friends has been a longtime friend of mine, Blake Allen. Uh, like I say, I, I'm, I'm fairly close with Lanny's son, Jeremy. I don't remember the first time specifically that I, I met Lanny, but what stands out to me when I think about Lanny Maples is that his approach, I don't know about to life, I can't speak to that, but his approach to racing specifically was very laid back, right? Like, I'm not, he wasn't, it's not as if he was the life of the party necessarily, 
but he was always enjoying himself. Like he was always having a good time and he always seemed to be content, whether he was by himself at the racetrack in a crowd, always joking, sarcastic, always smiling. Right. And he was the guy that just regardless of what was going on, always seemed to truly enjoy his time at the racetrack. And it's funny because to talk to Lanny was to assume that, for him like competition was a bit of an afterthought like he was just he was there for because it was fun but he at the same time was this fierce competitor he was always successful and i feel like that's the lasting impression on me from lanny it was it's been shoot it's probably been seven eight years ago he was parked um, behind us at topeka at the national event and, you know, he's just his normal jovial self and he's joking around and he completely downplayed his competitiveness. He's like, ah, it's this new combination. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, this and that and the other just played it up the whole weekend. And he didn't end up winning the race, but he went deep in the race. Like he was super competitive, like he was always super competitive. And it just felt like at the same time, he had more fun than anyone at the track. And that approach, particularly at that time, was the polar opposite of my own, right? It, it was in that time in my life and my career that I, it seemed like I put so much pressure on myself that winning, it became like more of a relief than a joy, right? And anything short of winning was just total devastation. And I remember thinking, man, this guy is having a blast and he is just as much a threat to win as I am. And I don't, and I don't remember, you know, like, smiling genuinely since we've been here and that perspective it's something that i have never forgotten and i feel like lanny maples likely imparted some level of that attitude on everyone that he was around this idea that like look you can be really good and really competitive and still enjoy yourself like it doesn't have to be one or the other so i'm thinking about Lanny Monday morning as I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed, kind of catching up and moments like after learning of, of Lanny's passing, I scroll down and the next thing on my news feed to read about is the passing of Tom Fisher. Um, Tom Fisher had a, a number of health problems in recent years, uh, most resulting from kidney disease, recently diagnosed with COVID. I don't know all the details. I assume that was, you know, ultimately what, uh, what, what, pushed it over the edge angry tom right this was he 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 leaned into that nickname we always talk about leaning into nicknames like it was actually on the side of his car and most of you are familiar i would imagine with tom's son uh, tom's son joe fisher and joe was essentially my boss for years like he is the owner of racing rvs they sponsored me for four seasons um you know i raced under that banner i raced with joe and tom a lot um but our story goes back years before that how i actually met tom fisher and joe fisher uh was in a like multi-day rain delay at south georgia motorsports park in a poker game in a suite above the track of all places and um tom and joe both were like skilled poker players like gamblers right and i didn't have any business being in there but somehow or another we kind of formed this mutual respect, which is surprising because I didn't know anything about playing cards, right? Um, but as we got back to racing, the, Tom had a problem uh, with his ignition box and I happened to have a spare, so I loaned it to him. And it was like, you know, they 
what do we need to do? Do we need to pay for this, whatever? And, and I was just like, I would anyone. I'm like, no, just use it. Hopefully it works for you. And at the end of the weekend, like you can give it back to me or you can buy it or whatever. Like just put it in your car so you can race, you know? And he never forgot that. Like he brought that up probably the last time that I saw him. I'm actually still convinced. I've told this story before that that, that, that day, like that loaning of that ignition box, I still, I'm still convinced that that's the reason that Joe ultimately selected me years later for our racing RVs partnership. Like it just started this relationship, but anyway, to, to, to see angry Tom, like it wasn't a clever nickname, right? Like he was cantankerous. He was intimidating. He was a guy that I would normally, to be completely honest, like shy away from, right? But for some reason I was drawn to him right from that first day that we met. And surprisingly enough, like he was to some extent, maybe drawn to me, open with me in his heyday. I've heard all the stories like Tom Fisher was a dominant drag racer. He won everything under the sun. Right. And during the, the years that he and I got to spend some time together was during that point in my career where I really had things rolling. Right. Uh, and I remember him pulling me aside and saying, you know, I used to win like you win now. And it was like a prideful statement, not in himself. That's not the way it came across to me. Like he had, he was proud of me for, for competing at that level. And I guess what he was telling me was to some extent like cautionary, like, hey, soak this in, you know, which probably resonates with me a little bit better now than they even did in the moment. But it, it didn't feel like it was a warning from him. Like it didn't feel like, Hey, you know, this won't last forever. It was more like at a time when it was easy to feel like no one was rooting for me because I was just winning too damn much. I knew that man was always rooting for me. And I'll never forget the, the probably lasting memory that just makes me smile of Tom was his, the first time that he ever got to compete at the U.S. Nationals. This is back years ago. He had his top dragster car, but this was before they started running top dragster at Indy. And uh, he, Joe entered him in super comp. And we literally, I bolted the throttle stop on his car, you know, the, the morning of the first time trial. And for whatever reason, I don't even remember now, he missed the first time trial. I don't even remember why. But long story short, in a run or two, like we got him halfway dialed in. And not only did he get to compete, at the U S nationals for the first time, which is, you know, for a man that again, had won everything. Obviously it's Indy, right? It's, it was a lifetime dream. Not only did he get to compete, like he went deep. He didn't win the race, but he was down to like 10 cars, five cars, fifth, sixth round, something like that. And I will just never forget the look in his eyes after coming back from, you know, like round three, four, it was this combination of determination and and pure joy right here was a guy that won everything there was to win but he had never run the big go it, you could just tell it meant something to him and to have a strong showing especially it was a big deal it was something that i'll never forget and it's something that i just can't stop thinking about this week so here's to angry tom here's to happy lanny if you call him happy lanny like maybe the opposite end of the spectrum from angry tom and I just, before we get into the show, before we get into Jeff Sarah, I just wanted to extend my, uh, my compassion to Joe Fisher, and his family, to Jeremy Maples and his family. May you, may you find peace in and beyond this difficult time. May your pain and mourning be countered and overwhelmed by 
incredible memories of all the good that these men have done. Listen, I don't, I don't know how to transition from this to, to Jeff Sarah. So I think I'm just going to shut up. I'll let my good friend PJ North handle that in the way that only he can. All right, joining me now is the winner of the Great American Guaranteed Million, and probably, if Hunter didn't exist, like this is probably the guy that's had the best 2020. In a normal season, I think we'd be talking about Jeff Sarah even more than we have this year. Jeff, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? Awesome. I've been looking forward to this, man. I'm, it's, I'm glad to have you on. Let's... I think the obvious jumping off place for us here is let's just go back to what was it now almost two months ago in Memphis driving Richard Duke Chevy two. like first off how did I get the impression that you'd been in that car prior to the week at Memphis but it's not like your regular car how did the arrangement come about in the first place to drive that car at that event um so I've driven Richard's car a couple times. I've, I've driven it maybe at Rockingham, Galat, and then I drove it at the beginning of this year at West Palm at the New Year's Nationals, and I didn't, I didn't do very well with it. Uh, but at the end of the weekend, Richard came up to me, and he, he said he'd won a raffle to the Great American Million, and at that point I had no other, no other arrangements to go. It's supposed to be in March, so – he asked me if I would want to go and I, I just I felt it would be foolish if I told him no and it seemed to be a good decision I would say so I would say so now uh, we've talked about it a little bit here on the podcast just based on what I've what I kind of learned from watching at the track what I, what I know happened but I'm getting the second end of the story like the the week obviously the win is epic in and of itself but the events leading up to it are the stuff of legends. So in your words, just kind of walk me through uh, the weekend. Well, we started off the weekend going five forties uh, with the same car <laughs> and it was running. All right. I, do you remember I ran you round two? What day was that? Wednesday? Yeah. Tuesday, that's right. Yeah. And what, what happened? Uh, I think you were going to kick my butt. Like you had me on the no. And then went like uh, four tenths over or something like yeah. that. Right? <laughs> yeah, we kicked the rods out of it, trying to kick your ass. It didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> and you, you, we pulled off, and you asked me what happened, and I was like, "Man, I don't know what happened. I think we had this vibration, and I, I didn't know what broke, but I didn't think it was the engine at that point until we got back to the trailer, and it turns out it was blown up. So um, Richard went to work. You know, he went to work and he went to work looking for an engine. I didn't know what was going to happen if that car was parked for the week or I really didn't have a clue. Um, he ends up, you know, I go over there and he's got this engine and he's got the torch out and he's got a grinder and he's trying to make these header plates, these header adapter plates fit because I don't I change the cylinder. I don't know what the heck this guy going on. So, you know, we end up, he ends up getting the engine in the car and we run it and we get that time run Saturday morning, maybe or Friday. 
and uh, we go from 540s to 608 or something like that. And <laughs> he was disappointed, I think, that that his car that is purpose-built, chromoly, four-link, you know, pro-mod almost, is going in the sixes. But, you know, we still had a chance to win. And uh, I tried not to let him get too caught up in it, you know, get too caught up in the fact that we weren't pulling wheelies and doing all that shit. It sounded like a dump truck when it left the line. But, but basically, we left the same converter in there from the, the faster engine, the 800-horsepower engine. So it wasn't the ideal tune-up. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. It was, it was to get us through, you know, it was to get us through and give us at least a chance to stage up for, for the race, which was rain delayed. And what do we have first round on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. One round Sunday and then finish Monday, right? Yeah. One round Sunday. And, uh, man, my only goal at that race, they separated door cars and dragsters. But if you're at the end of the line with a door car, you had to run a dragster. Okay. So I told Richard the night before, I don't care what you do. I don't care if I have to come wake your ass up. You know, I don't care if I don't have to not sleep. I get that bitch in the lane so we have to run a door car. You know, that's the main thing we got to do. And uh, I'll be goddamned if I wasn't up before him. One of the few times that I got up early was that Monday. And thank you, uh, Kevin Pollard, for the hospitality. He, he Kevin Pollard's a footbreaker. He's a no-box guy. So he's used to having to get up early to get his stuff ready, you know. So – he was he was basically my coach on that part of it. He got me he got me up early and ready. Gave me a pop tart or whatever it was, and and uh, I I rode off on the scooter to wake Richard up about seven thirty in the morning. He couldn't believe I was there. It was like he saw a ghost. <laughs> I was like, Richard, wake up, get that son of a bitch, get it out of the trailer, get it ready. And I don't know if you know Richard at all, but he likes to, he likes he likes to talk shit. He likes to you know joke around and cuss and drink. You know he's he's a cool guy. So. I wasn't, I, you know, I'm not going to say I was polite with him over there. I was giving him a hard time and he got up and got the car ready and he pulled it in line and uh, we won that round. And for the rest of the race, we kind of kept that trend. I would, I'd ride over there in the scooter and make sure he was okay. Cause we weren't parked together. I was driving to see whether it was dragster also. And, uh, he would drive, he drove it to the lanes every round, which, you know, that's, might be the first and only time that's ever happened to me where somebody else drove the car. <laughs> it's just ironic, you know, just, and he was, he made sure we didn't have to run any dragsters until there wasn't any other options. And that was all we had to do, you know, just, just because the car wasn't repeating as, as it normally does. And obviously you can't judge a dragster nearly as easy as you can if you're chasing or at least within a half a second. So I don't know. It just, it, it was just, uh, it just worked out, I guess, for that part of it. I, I remember talking to Richard in the staging lanes, and it was probably that morning, like shortly after the first run with the new motor. And he was his typical, you know, like optimistic self, but I just got this impression he's just defeated, you know, because as you uh, said, he was, probably- he was beat down, man. He was beat down. He, he worked on that thing nonstop. He had all this shit going on and then we go out there and rip off a 608 or whatever it was. It's just like, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't seem very happy. I mean, like you said, he's, he's an optimistic guy. And I try to be the same way. I try to tell him, it's all right, man, we got this, we got this car. We're going to kick their ass. It's going to be okay. But at the same time, we're both looking, you know, we're, we're really, we're really searching deep to try to pull this shit off. Like we, we, we didn't have the best chance. Let's just say that. 
No, and that's basically what he admitted at that point. He's like, yeah, I borrowed a motor. He says, it's really slow. You know, we, we, the only converter I had was the one for the fast motor, so that ain't right. And I didn't really have the right carburetor for it, so we got the carburetor off the fast motor. Like, there's nothing about it. Like, it, There's no way it's going to repeat and this and that and the other. And I'm thinking, well. Yeah, we're on gas with a 5,500-stall converter. I mean, how do you think it's going to work? <laughs> It definitely doesn't sound optimal. And my impression watching was that it wasn't. Like, obviously, it's an incredible piece of equipment. But given oh, all the car, that's the most amazing car I've ever sat. I can't believe he lets me drive it. He's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, for what we were trying to do that day, you could say my chances would have been a little bit better in, in the dragster. That thing was on point. Sure, sure. How bad was the Chevy too? Like, how, how much was it moving around? No, I'm not going to say it was bad. We're never going to talk about things bad. <laughs> I just yeah. mean on that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would never do that to Richard. That's the best car, Richard, I've ever seen. <laughs> but no, uh, I mean, like I told you, we ripped off that 608 in time runs, and it's no secret I went 594 in the semis. And that was not on purpose. I mean, I was dialed 602 or 604, whatever it was. I, I wasn't trying to hold a 10th on Nick, Nick Hastings. That's not a good idea. You know, even though we're similar ET, Nick's maybe the best we've seen ever. So, like, you know, it's just you don't want to get lost out there trying to run Nick. And I think what we got moved to the quick lane over there, the left lane was a little, a little quicker, you know, looser rollout. And some of the door cars hauled ass over there. Um, but at the same time, we I think we might have sucked the intake gasket or something because it was idled up to like two grand. Like you couldn't, it was it was hot on gas, you know, with the tight converter, and it wouldn't, you couldn't idle it lower than like two thousand. So I don't know if that contributed to it picking up at the end of the race or if it was just conditions or I don't. What do I? I, don't, I have no idea. So. And you won the, the largest recorded race in history with a car that literally on the scoreboard moved 14 hundredths of a second in the day, right? Maybe. Two days. Two, Two days? <laughs> we talked about that. The time run was what, Saturday? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I was going 604 that morning. So we at least picked up a 10th. Wow. No, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like the, the run with Hastings was a bit of an aberration, but I just, A, knowing your style to begin with, and B, the, the uh, lack of certainty in what the car was running. Like, I, I know you were going under all day. Like, how much did you well, think? Yeah, I mean, what are you going to dial a car that moves like that honest? It's just not possible. You know, so for me, this goes back to, we had this, my dad had this Camaro, and we raced it quarter mile at New Media Dragway all the time. And we had this one fuel pump on it that would, it was, it was block mounted. It would boil the fuel if you, if you got, so you'd, you'd rip off a 1070 or 1080 in the morning and then it would slow down a 10th and then another 600s and another 400s. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of that. And, and the, the plan always, when I drove that car was to crush the tree and cross first. That's you really can't have another plan. So if you miss the tree, I mean, shit, and you got to drop out when your car is moving 600, you know, run to run, that's not a good feeling. So it really, I don't know. I, you could say it got me up on the wheel. Um, I'd like to think that if the car was running good, I could have done the same thing. But who knows? You know, things kind of just worked out. Maybe my game plan, a couple of those rounds, was so aggressive that it just had to work. You know, and it, it, that might not have been the case if I could rely on the car. I might, I might have, I might have had a 15 instead of a five, or you know, you know how that goes. Like I'm just not quite as on the wheel, quite as motivated. So. 
I mean, there, there were many things that contributed to it working out the way it did. Yeah, no, there's a, that's a really good point. Cause when you've got that degree of uncertainty, like, you know, that there's really one recipe to win. Like you gotta be damn near perfect. You know what oh, I mean? You gotta, you gotta coon dog them. You know, you gotta tree them. Uh, that's, that's, that's the only option you got. You got You got to have the tree and you got to cross by a little bit. And, and there were a couple rounds I crossed by more than I should have. And I had the tree by so much that I went dead on, you know, there, there were a couple times that I pulled one out of my ass, you know, like you could, you could definitely put this, put the magnifying glass on the, on the semis against Hastings, like double red. I should have lost, you know, like I should, I should have lost that round, but it just wasn't happening. You got a coon dog. I'm, I'm going to remember that. I haven't heard that one like that. Uh, that is not my term. I can't take credit for that term, but I've heard it and it makes sense. You know? <laughs> it does make sense. What? Um, I always say like really probably when you win a race of, of any level, but particularly an event like that, I feel like everybody says you can always, you got to get through one lucky round, right? I actually would take it a step further and say, I think that's true. Typically you got to get away with one. Like it's not like you're going to make whatever it was, 10, 11 rounds without with just a pure perfection. But I also think, especially in this day and age that it all has to line up in addition to getting that one kind of break. Well, you have to get a lucky series of events really. Well, sure. Right. And I think like the or other fortunate, not even lucky, just fortunate You know, things you prepared for this one thing. So four other things fell into place because of that. You know, it's it's not – I don't even know if you could consider it luck. Just if if you were prepared to do this this one time and you got three other lucky things that happened after that, is it lucky? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, right. No, it's a, it's a right place, right time kind of thing because I feel like the other end of it is that to, to, to win, especially a multi-round race at that level, there's almost inevitably going to be one round where your opponent makes a run that would – like typically beat you and you just happen to get under it and it, it lines up at the right time. So like there's a run that you kind of get away with, I feel like, and there's always a round where you just stand on your head and it was the time that you needed it. Does do any, does either of those resonate particularly? Well, I, got, I got lucky in the finals and in the finals, I got lucky in the semis, I'm sorry, against Nick, but you know, in the finals, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, that was, Round six and seven, and uh, I mean, you could go five through eight of that race were maybe the toughest race ever. There were there were some runs getting laid down. That, I think it was round six that were just absolutely unbelievable. Okay. So like, you get through those, and you're you're ducking and weaving, and you, you finally you feel like you're getting compensated for it monetarily, and you're like, well, now you're in the finals, and I'm just trying to seek motivation to win. You know. I, obviously you want to win. You don't, you don't want to be the, the biggest loser there ever was. You don't want to runner up the biggest race there ever was. So I don't know, I guess you could say my toughest round would have been the final, just all that pressure. And there, I mean, there was this one point where Troy and I were in the, you know, we were talking in the lanes and Troy has been there for a couple, a couple times I've, I've done well. And he always has got the right thing to say at the right time, you know, Troy, Troy Williams Jr. And it's just like, having him in your corner kind of calms you down a little bit. But at, at one point we were talking about the split and uh, I'm running, I'm running this dude, Todd Sensony in the finals, which I'm sure, you know, Todd, Todd's a, a nice guy. I, I, no, no problems with Todd, but we were running for $210,000, you know, and at one point I thought it was 110, you know, I, I couldn't even get the math together. There's so much, it was just a, a crazy, uh, just trying to, make sure you don't mess up the, the basics 
when you have all that going on, I would have to say the final, I let go. Oh, you know, that that's gotta be, I can't, I can't be mad about that. You know, the finish line, I had no idea where my car was. So I'm running a dragster. I'm in the, I'm in the right lane. I can't see him. I got no mirrors. I got a funny car cage, all that stuff. So I'm looking back and I'm, I'm taking a look at him. I'm like, man, he's not in the window. So I, I feel like I just dialed up 400s for my 594. I'm like, damn, I might be going 594 again. So I crack it once and I'm like, I still don't see him at all. And then I crack it again. I'm like, God damn it. Here he comes. <laughs> so he, as soon as he hits the window, obviously he's passing me, you know? So I, I lift out of the guy. I didn't even hit the brakes. I, I've never touched the brakes to Richard's car. It's got carbon fiber brakes on it. Mm-hmm. I've never touched them. I've never power dropped it because like it scares the life out of me to fuck that thing up. <laughs> but I just dead lifted when he passed me and I'm just staring at the scoreboards like, Oh, well there that went. <laughs> and then Todd's a thou under. And I'm like, Oh my good Lord. Are you serious? Did that just happen to me? And I, I was kind of speechless. And Richard told me, he's like, if you win, just go back to the trailer. I want to put my nice clothes on for the, for the cell, you know, all that shit. I'm thinking, you know, Richard, I'm just driving this shit right to the lanes. <laughs> We're not doing all that. And to be honest with you, it was a good thing I did because they teched the fuck out of the car. If I would have stopped the trailer, it would have raised a red flag. But I didn't. Even, that didn't even cross our mind. <laughs> we, he just wanted to get cleaned up for the picture. <laughs> uh, what a story. I mean, all the way down. I, I'm curious. You, a, I, I got a couple of uh, threads to pull on, but that final – and you talked a little bit about, about the money and like, I don't, we don't need to get into the details of the split, but I just want to talk about the dynamic between, like you said, there's a little bit of almost, uh, I don't know, it's complacency, the word, like you, you're, you know, that if you lose, like it's not, you can't be unhappy. You're going to take home. Yeah. You know, but you could say that in any race you're at the end of, you know, say you're at the five grander and you, and you're in the finals and you make it three and two. You know, and or three and twenty five hundred, and you have to race for five hundred bucks. Just like, yeah, you're already being paid, but at the same time, do you want to lose? You know, not really. <laughs> so that's what I, that's what I try to like. And also, Todd and I raced for like two hundred ten thousand. It was <laughs> that's not. It wasn't. It wasn't a five hundred dollars split, and it kind of blew my mind. I think, like, I just try to put that completely out of my mind. The way. The way I've been relating as often as it is and as, as crazy spread out as the rounds are, for me, uh, I like to just think of when I drive up to the lanes, I'm just driving up there to do my job, which is to execute, to make a good pass. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the finals of the million or first round at a five grand. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's just your job is to go up there and make a run that you're not supposed to lose with, you know, or you are supposed to win with would be a better way to put it but like you know that's kind of where i try to just get back to the basics make sure i didn't mess up my delay make sure i put my dial in in what you know tires are right feel the bitch would crank up you know all that just the normal stuff to make sure you are at least ready to maybe win you know and at the end of those big races man it's whoever makes the least amount of mistakes and that's what we did that one night you know i'm happy for it uh, that's that's what blows me away about it because, you know, just on the one hand, you're gonna you're guaranteed to walk away with more money than all maybe a handful of people have ever won in a race car, and on the other hand, 
you're it's very possible you will never stage for another single round for two hundred plus thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like you should. I mean, what are the chances that'll ever happen again? Probably slim to none. Just the the magnitude of the the dollar. I'd be, you know what you know what got me, um, and we talked about this a little bit. You and I have. It's just, or maybe you've talked about it yourself, and I've just listened to you on this podcast. But but at at the Michigan Million, the the one point one. I think we were down to 10 cars or whatever it was. And I run Bill Swain and I'm four take eight and lose, you know, for 80 grand. And cause I would have had to buy to the semis or whatever it was. It was I got 20, I would have got a hundred or whatever we would have got Steve and I, but whatever the case was like, it was $80,000 round. And I never thought I'd see a round that big again, you know, <laughs> like, and, and I was very sad about it because who, who, who wants to lose $80,000 round? That's something that'll, that'll eat away at you. That'll, that'll crush you. You know, like if, yeah. if you can't get over that and you're in the profession that you and I are like, well, that'll, that's something you keep thinking about. You know, you don't let shit like that get away. $80,000 round. What could I have done to won that or win that? And it's just like, well, I don't, I don't know if I could have executed any better than I did at the time. So like, right. Just try to move on, and I think maybe that bad luck, the bad fortune that I got at Memphis, kind of yeah, yeah, the 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 bad fortune at Martin carried over to the to the other yeah, too many fucking M's, <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> Martin, Mich- Memphis, Montgomery, what the fuck? <laughs> the, I, need a bre- I need a breather for a second, anyways. God, that was stressful. I love it. The um, and and maybe you just answer this because that experience at Martin probably played a, played a role. Like I just have a hard time. And you even mentioned this earlier, just wrapping my mind around the sheer amount of money that we were racing for, you know, much less when you get deep into the rounds and, and the split becomes very real. Like I just want, I'm, I'm curious, I guess, specific to Memphis, was there a moment or a round where like just the magnitude of the, the dollar figure that was out there seemed more real or really hit home yeah when we're talking in the semis we're talking in the semifinals there's three cars left todd's by he doesn't really want to do anything which i can't blame him or, or whatever the case may have been but i had to run hastings and we had to make a deal and todd was not interested in in doing a kickback so it was just between nick and i and uh, we're talking about it and, and this that and the other and we come up with a figure and uh we go ahead and run the final and, and everything works out exactly like I thought it's sh- like, I thought it should, except for I f- forgot a hundred grand. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, ter- they're tearing the car down. They're tearing the car down. And Troy and I are talking and he's like, I, I was just like, can you just believe I beat that? Can you just believe I beat that guy for $110,000 with a broke car and I want to tech it. And he looks at me and he looks at me right in the eyes. He's just like, Jeff, that was two hundred and ten thousand. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's crazy because that's how heat of the moment I was. You know, I'm just thinking about the race. You know, I, I'm thinking anybody, Steve, could tell you or whoever. Like, I'm not the type of guy that get, gets so crazy into the money that I can't think about the race. You know, so I'm just trying to figure out how to win the race. I'm not really thinking about negotiating this, that, and the other. You know. That's not really on my the top of my list, even though 
racing for a million dollars. Like that wasn't really my goal. My goal was to make sure we were the last car in, you know? So. All right. No, I mean, the only thing that I can even come up with to relate um, at, at Vegas, when I won the, the sprinkling million, like we made the, the field wide split at whatever, like 14, 16 cars. And then it was never discussed again and roll up for the final. And I mean, obviously you know what you're racing for, but you just never had to think about it again. You never had to talk about it. I roll up for the final and I'm putting my jacket on. I'll never forget it. Peter Biondo walks down and says, Hey, um, just, just, to, you know, you, you guys got, uh, 180. You don't want to do anything more than that. And I'm like, no, that's, I'm good with that. Yeah. race for 20 grand. That's cool. Yeah, and I go to turn to get and in the you, car. And you, and you won. Who'd you win the final? Uh, Michael Pennington. But okay. I around from that, that brief conversation to get in the car and I'm like, we're racing for 180. Like, holy hell. You know what I mean? And then you just take that and multiply it really basically times 10. Like I just, just, put, a, just put a zero on the end of it. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like I told you earlier, I just try to compartmentalize. I just try to make do little things at a time. That way I don't think about the big, you know, at this, at the time that it's all working, you know, you don't really want to, spoil it by thinking about what could be you know you just want to think about what you have to do right then and just let the dominoes fall into place man it was just after the fact i kind of looked back and was like wow that was that was something that might never happen again at least to me you know <laughs> that, that's something that might never happen again and man i i'm just happy it did man i'm, I'm really am and i'm happy you had me on the show to to talk about it and I'm, i really appreciate that man i, I really do no, I've, I've, I love that you came on, and I love the way that you're telling you think I wasn't going to come on when you asked me? Yeah, I wasn't 100% sure. Some people are like, I hate doing that stuff. So. Well, I don't I don't like it. I'm trying to make sure that I don't sound too silly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this. I'm I, When you look back, or say when I look back on your 2020 season, like you've had an incredible year, really, from start to finish. But what stands out to me, Edward. No, it's had its moments, huh? No, it's yeah. I won like a a five grander, five grander, and like I I drove for my my one one friend from Pittsburgh, Rob Schneider. We won a twenty five grander at Pittsburgh, and that was a highlight going into what was the most important stretch. Right, right. It wasn't even for my my regular car owner, Steve Witherow. So like, you could say we were having a shitty year. You know, we really, we really weren't having a good year at all. And it, it's amazing what happens like momentum and just positive attitude. Like Steve at Bristol, I don't know if you saw it or not, but he, he laid down a perfect run on a time run. He won 50 grand. Like, it's that, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that kind of changed everything. Not really. I'm not going to say that it changed our fortune completely, but it didn't hurt. You know, it definitely didn't hurt. It took a, a little bit of the pressure off. My brother and I both made the split at the Bristol million and it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off. Cause this is an expensive stretch of, uh, you know, Steve's got multiple cars, entry fees, races, weeks, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. So it could, it could pile up in a hurry, especially when you're eating two, two, three thousand $3,000 lick entry fees, you know, it's, it gets crazy. So, for him to for him to be able to pull off that perfect ride, it was just it was crazy. We were having a bad week that week at Bristol. You know, we weren't really doing that well, and and then that happened, and 
man, it's just you know how momentum works. You know how momentum works. He kind of he kind of got the train rolling, and then Sean and I started doing pretty good at the in the million. We made the split, and he's like, "Do you guys want to go to Memphis?" And I'm like, "Well, Steve, turns out I already have a handshake deal with Richard Duke since March <laughs> or since January, really." He was like, "I'm going. I'm going regardless, but I would love to drive your dragster. You know, I'd love because I didn't have two entries." And he's like, "Well, I guess you know, let's do it." And uh, you know, after that, we we were able to keep traveling and do a little bit more racing. But that took that that was like a, that was like what kind of kind of got us rolling down the hill. You know, the Bristol race and Steve doing that and just everybody being happy and racing and winning, you know, just, it's contagious. It is. It is. It's absolutely true. Winning begets winning. Um, I think when I kind of pan out on your season, obviously the, the, the Memphis win stands out and it's something that you'll be remembered for 30 years from now. But in the moment, I think what I'm personally most impressed by Jeff is like you, you label it as up to that point or up to that stretch, maybe not the greatest season, but you look back, we had, four quote unquote you know million dollar races in 2020 in the first three you made the split like that's an incredible performance and i'm just i guess and maybe you answered it a little bit earlier like what is your explanation for continuously because this isn't the first time either like you've been close in montgomery a few times before it seems like when the stakes get higher you're at your best or you always, or, or maybe everyone else gets a little bit worse, whatever the case may be. Like, it seems like you shine when the stakes are the largest. Do you have any explanation or, 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 or uh, yeah, explanation, I guess, for that? Well, I mean, I don't really have an explanation. I just don't really like to lose. Um, and I don't know. Have you ever watched like some, some superstars in other sports just dominate on the most important days. Have you ever seen? Well, just like it's it's motivating. It gets you to where like you want to you want to be that. You want to do that. And sometimes I can, you know, not all the time. I wish it was there, but or it will be the best or anything like that. But goddamn, that day I want to be. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm really motivated to to try and do the best for my team, the people that help me and uh, shit, my kids, they love my kids. My kids love to win. <laughs> my little girls, they, unfortunately they've been spoiled every time they show up and they don't come, get to come race for me every weekend, but every time they come, we, we end up doing pretty well. So it's like added, added motivation slash pressure, which I guess gets me going. You know, it's just, I can't really explain it, you know, especially the past few years. I can't really explain it. There's been, Many times in, in my past where I've folded in finals and had bad rounds and missed that or the other and didn't get the recognition I felt I deserved or, you know, you could call it a chip on your shoulder or whatever you want to call it. But I don't know. I just try to make every round the same. I try to make sure I'm prepared. My car's ready. I'm, I'm just ready to beat somebody. And if, if they're not in the same state, I don't think they could beat me. No, I, I mean, I think we can all attest to like there is a, a level of electricity in the air on main event day that I think for most, you know, serious competitors, like there is some sort of switch that kind of flips. I don't know that it's necessarily conscious, but you just know it's it's a bigger deal than normal. I'm curious on your end, like, is there anything that 
jujitsu do differently in the bigger events? Oh my God. I'm a head case. Uh, <laughs> I choose t-shirts, gloves, you know, dial-ins. I haven't dialed an odd number in two years. <laughs> okay. Or put, or put an odd number in my delay box. So if you look back through them, they're all even, even numbers for a long time now. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm a mental head case. I'm not saying that I'm normal by any stretch of the imagination. You could say I'm damn near eccentric, you know, not quite, but like, I like to make sure things are going. I, I think more importantly than like tuning your car and having this ride and your car running within two thousands every time, it's more important to have the driver ready, you know, or at least in the same consistent state of mind. So like, I don't know. I, I can't imagine freaking out about my tire pressure every pass. That would, that would be more distracting to me than helpful. You know, I, I just can't, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine facing another type of way rather than just making sure that I, I am ready rather than, the, or, or not in spite of, or rather than the car, but along with the car. Sure. Sure. Um, and that actually, that's a perfect transition into the, 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 one of the last things that I wanted to talk about, Jeff, like it, if you just took bracket racing, specifically big dollar racing kind of in a vacuum, it feels like now more than ever, the, the typical approach, specifically to eighth mile bracket racing, is that technology's come so far, our cars are so freaking good, like my car's better than I am, I'm, I'm going to make a time run and light it up dead on. And like, that is not your approach typically, at least from what I'm seeing. You're a, a bit of a, a throwback almost. And, and it's not just you, like there, there are several racers that, that have had success recently, like holding more than would be conventional. But I feel like watching you race, and I've said this before on the podcast, like, and I don't mean to take away from your entire game because you are obviously a very well-rounded driver, but I felt at, at Bristol specifically, which I think is the first time that I got to race with you this year, like when I heard your name on the PA, I felt like it was like must-watch TV. Like I wanted to be at the finish line just to, just to watch it in action. Like it's, it's fun to watch and it's fun to watch you do what you do. I'm just curious from a strategic standpoint, and – this is a, a loaded question because there are few, if any, racers with your skill set at that end of the track. But kind of walk me through like the general game plan approach to like, no, I'm not going to hold it on the floor and go down here. I mean, you just said that you're not going to dial an odd number. So if you're going 451, that's not the dialing. <laughs> no, no chance, right? It might be 452, but probably. <laughs> I don't know, man. I. I guess you could say it just goes back to my driving career and I started driving junior dragsters that weren't real consistent and I got in big dragsters that were like my dad had a hardtail that I drove and we were running a quarter mile. That wasn't really the most conventional approach either. And we had that Camaro I talked about and I ran top dragster a little bit with nitrous and tire. It just, I just don't, I don't trust cars. You know, I, I wish I could, but I don't, you know, <laughs> and I've driven a couple great cars that will repeat to the thousandth damn near. And sooner or later, they're going to fuck you, you know, <laughs> sooner or later, like they're, they're going to pick up or slow down five that as soon as you really need them too. So, I mean, my approach is, it, it changes from round to round. I can't tell you, I'm not going to dial honest or I'm going to hold a lot, but you know, there's a good chance I'm going to put it in my hands rather than the car's hands. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather lose on my core than my car slow down a hundredth and I can't run my dial in, you know, that would drive me absolutely insane. So that's just, I don't even know if you could say that that's, that's been an approach that I've used forever. You know, it just seems like something that I've picked up maybe in the past three to five years. Um, 
but it works. Obviously, obviously. And I'm curious too, like if you could even try to, to predict and think about if let's say at, at 16, 17 years old, like you're dumped in the perfect state of the art car that, that doesn't move three thousandths. Do you think you'd be the driver that you are today? No chance. Without right. no chance, no chance in hell. Actually, you know, it worked out the way that it did for a reason. And I'm not done yet. You know, I'd like to win a couple more races before it's all said done. That'd be cool. And the problem that I have now is like when I drive these perfect state of the art cars, which is pretty much every one of Steve Witherow's car. I mean, I've driven plenty of cars that are amazing. You know, it's like. And then you make a mistake. You take 12 thousandths and you needed to take eight and your car was repeating within two. You know, it's just like, how well, how do you remain confident when you basically lost that round yourself and then you'll run a couple of rounds and your car will slow down a hundredth to halfway and you'll be like, oh, that, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's going on. You know, I, we don't have a slow door car. You know, you get a fast dragster or a fast door car and you're basically, you, you're basically betting your dial in is as good as a racetrack, you know, and you can't always do that. You know, you can't always do that. I just prefer to take this. I know it seems like a more risky approach, but for me, it seems safer. You know, the risky approach seems to, to me, like to be to dial something you can't run or, or something that you have to make a perfect run to run. That seems like a riskier approach to me than unless you have nitrous. Yeah. That opens up a few options, I suppose. Am I wrong? Are you wrong? Yeah. Dude, a million dollars says no. No, well, that was that was a special that was a special occasion, but like overall, what is your opinion like why don't you hold that much anymore? Yeah, no, it's a good strategic question. And it's actually seeing I've seen you hold a tent before. I've seen it in action. I've seen all that shit. Why why do you dial your stuff so close cuz your car is better now than it ever has been? Yeah, and and I think there's a combination of, yes, like I'm more confident in my stuff than I've ever been, but in watching like racers like you do what you're doing and specifically you, if I'm going to be completely honest, um, I think has made me realize that there's a degree of complacency in the way that I'm approaching it, that I'm like, Hey, I'm envious because I'm like, man, it just looks like so much more fun to race the way that you're racing. Oh, it is. Even if you lose. <laughs> <laughs> You had a great time holding a minute, you know? Right. Yes, absolutely. And, and I had just, uh, I don't know, like I, I got in that, uh, that rut. You're playing the odds, right? You're playing the odds. You're going to let go good and your car is going to do what it's supposed to do. So you're supposed to be playing the odds. And I, and I kind of went through that this, that we all go through from time to time where I just, I lost a bunch of double breakouts, you know, this stuff that happens when you're just holding a bunch that, and you look at it and go, man, my car is so much better than that. But I do think like what I was talking about, right? Yes, exactly. Twelve, you lose, you know, just dumb shit like that. It's just like it's like heartbreaking, you know. But it's like, man, my car is better than I am. No way, you know, it can't be. I've done this before. It can't be. It's not possible. No, but some some of them definitely are, and I'm not saying that. Just when I have my good days, I that car doesn't. I mean, it's just something to ride in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no i love the approach and i love how open and and candid you are with all of it it's uh it's so fun to talk to you about it. i love having these discussions to begin with especially with someone that's on your level like it's uh, it's cool and I, I know you you humbly say you know like i want to win one or two more you've been rolling here lately like you've won one or two in the last couple in the last couple of weeks down in florida 
Uh, I know you've got some racing left on the calendar uh, on this winter tour, as you called it, in, uh, in 2020. Southern you, tour. Southern tour, southern tour. Um, have you thought it at all further ahead than that, like uh, plans for 2021 at this point or no? Man, does anybody know what's going to happen in 2021? Good point. That's a very good point. I don't think so, man. I'm just trying to make sure that whenever I go back out next, which I think it's going to be – Probably this weekend, I'm going to run braids in the Snowbirds Nationals. Gary told me that they have some really cool bird trophies. They do so, bird trophies. I've seen those. I don't think it, it really pays a lot of money, but I'd like to win one of the birds. That'd be cool. <laughs> like you know, birds that It's be- just, for me, I'm not really, I don't know. I, you already, I think you probably already know. You could tell from talking to me that I haven't really been, like, I, I'm not, like, 100% worried about what might happen the next week, month, year, whatever the case might be. Like, I would like to make sure that I'm ready to win tomorrow. We have a, a race tomorrow that I have to win and, or at least try, you know, I don't have to win it, but I'd like to, that'd be cool. Uh, I, what's going to happen in 2021? Like there, there's, we have four or five loose rocker races at Piedmont. So I guess I've got to get an apartment down there or something. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good spot to be. No, it's. Uh, oh, uh, can I have a shameless plug for my practice tree race? One hundred percent. Tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, January 9th, Marty's Garage, um, Pep Boys Speed Shop presenting sponsor. Pep Boys has been helping me out for three or four years now. They're amazing. Um, see you all then. That's all I had to say about that. Fantastic. What? No, I. I just. I love. How do you feel to be an event promoter right now. Are you sketched out? Like, are you worried? Um, I didn't actually get to promote our race in, uh, in 2020, our, our home. Did, did you, it, it didn't work out. Yeah. So I don't, everything's just kind of, like you said, who the hell knows what's going to happen in 2021. Everything's a little up in the air. Practice tree race. Well, I know. I feel like I'm taking a risk putting that on, but at the same time, I have some great companies supporting me and, uh, we're have plenty of hand sanitizer and masks and whatever y'all need. Like we're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we're, and it's hopefully going to be successful. I mean, we've had a great year the past three or four years. I'm looking forward to it. With seeing all my friends, it's, I've been down south and racing, and it's cool when I come back to Pennsylvania and I get to hang out with my buddies, Marty and Rob, and you know, all, all my Brock Mosier, all my people from back home, you know, all the all my friends at Team Reinholds. You know, we we have a good time, and my kids, man, my little girls, they they drive me crazy. You know, you know how it is. You have two kids now, but. I did, I did, we did make the Disney World trip since Memphis. We, we made the Disney World trip and it was intense with all the, the safety protocols and all that, but we survived. We rode Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, all the mountains. We, re- we rode all mountains, man. It was, it was a good time. I suggest, I highly recommend it. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> awesome, man. Jeff, man, thank you again so much for coming on with us. Congratulations, not only on your big win not only on your 2020, but like your, your body of work, like you, you are building up not just a reputation, but like a resume of success isn't even the right word. Like it's bordering on domination. So congratulations on all you've done. It's been fun watching you grow into what you've become and uh, I'll have fun watching you for years to come. I'm sure. Cheers, Luke. Thank you, buddy. Awesome, man. Take care, Jeff. You too, buddy. Thank you.
Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Autometer and the Autometer Hot Rod Holiday Special. Uh, what Autometer is offering any Autometer purchase through any distributor, whether that's Jegs, Summit, Memphis Performance, this is bracketracing.com, any Autometer purchase between now and the end of the year. 12-31-2020 is eligible for this hot rod holiday bonus rebate. Uh, so wherever you purchase your Autometer product from, uh, simply print off the rebate form, fill out the rebate form, return it to Autometer. Autometer then re rebates you uh, what is essentially 10% of your purchase. It, it's tiered, but say if you spend $1,000, it's $100. If you spend $100, uh, you get $10 back. And this is something that Autometer's done for several years, so I can just speak from experience through several of our customers. Autometer is really good about actually sending the rebate. This is a very easy process. Again, you simply complete the form, following your purchase, send it to Autometer, and within a couple of weeks, you get a check in the mail. So again, Autometer products, the rebate is, uh, is functional wherever you purchase Autometer. Um, and again, you can purchase uh, select Autometer products through thisisbracketracing.com. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>